a man met up with an old friend at their 20-year high school reunion, and they got catching up on their, each of their lives, and one started bragging a little bit. He said, one of the things we've been able to do, he said, in our house we have an entire room filled with furniture that came from France, all going back to King Louis XIV. The other one said, that's nothing. We've got an entire house full of furniture, all going back to Johnson Furniture on the first. (laughs) But we're in this series entitled Right on the Money, and today I want to turn our focus to what the Bible has to say about debt. Debt as it pertains to how He wants us to handle money. Someone said there's three types of people today. There are the haves, and there are the have-nots, and there are the haves that have not paid for what they already have. They're indebted. They owe money. And many people have an unbiblical view about money, how they're to earn it, how they're to spend it, how they're to give it, how they're to save it. And then they get married only to discover that within the context of marriage, how the husband and the wife choose or view money or choose how to use money can either make them or break them. And it's something to discuss before you get married. So kind of what I'm focusing on today is this going to apply to everyone, but it especially, I think, applies to couples who are married. And it doesn't take much about money that if you mention it, it seems to bring to the surface that there could be trouble in paradise if you know what I mean. And so it's important that we deal honestly with the issue of money as believers in Christ. Jesus spoke about the subject of money more than any other subject except for the kingdom of God. The Old Testament book of Proverbs shares a great deal of wisdom about money. I'm just going to focus on a couple of passages today. But read with me on the screen or or in your Bibles. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The verse is simply this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. I want to talk to you for a minute on this title. Just give this particular sermon a title. How to Prevent Marriage from Becoming a Life and Debt Situation. As of January 2018, the average household in America had $16,000 in debt, not counting their car loans not counting their student loans or their mortgage loans on their homes. Of American households earning $75,000 or more per year, 60% of them don't have enough money in the bank to cover a $500 auto repair bill, much less the money to help a son or daughter pay for college tuition. Many people look at their retirement and they say, I should be fine so long as I don't live past two years into retirement. The average retiree is only able to withdraw $8,000 a year from their retirement. So money is a real issue. And I like to say it's probably the elephant in the home that everyone kind of ignores and never can get a handle on. They couldn't do anything with it if they wanted to try to do something different with it. It's such a big, major issue, and everybody is involved with part of it. Everybody's hand is in on it. So money issues are real issues, but there is hope. There is hope if we'll trust God and we'll live His way. 
And part of that includes, first of all, understanding the nature of debt. So if you're a note taker, just jot that down. I need to understand the nature of debt. There are two main thoughts about debt. Whether it's buying something with a credit card or borrowing money from the bank. Two major thoughts. The first thought is that any and all credit card or borrowing is wrong. That all debt's wrong no matter what because Romans chapter 3 or 13, 8 says, Oh, no man, nothing except the debt to love one another. But that's really not talking about indebtedness to money. That scripture, that whole context is talking about loving people. The other thought is the debt is about debt is that it's okay to have debt if you use it wisely or if debt is necessary for creating future opportunities. You're starting up a new business. You're needing a better vehicle in, the, in your line of work so you can do your job. You need a surgery to fix that knee so you can go on and work until retirement and not have to quit early. Um, you need a house to live in, and most people can't just go buy a house, not one that's going to last anyway, unless they borrow some money. So it's necessary to realize, though, whichever you fit into, whether you have a lot of debt or a little bit of debt or no debt whatsoever, or you're using it for future opportunities, something about debt is that regardless of the reason we have it, the principle remains the same. To have debt is to become a slave to the lender, to the lending institution. You are subject to them. They have control over what is almost the most important part of your life. And you are not totally free. As long as you owe money, you are in bondage. So while debt sometimes necessary to achieve good things, and I think we would all agree that in today's day and age, it, it is necessary. It is not totally required, however. And we might say it can create good opportunities, but it also has the ability to disable us financially simply because life includes unexpected turns of events. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There was a woman whose husband passed away. He was a great man of God, but he had some debts. She couldn't pay the debts, so they were coming to take her sons. They were going to have to work and be slaves to pay off the debt until it was completely paid in full. She would lose everything, the land, the house, everything, without the sons because it had to be passed on to the sons. Without them, she would lose it all. She needed God to do a miracle, and God did perform a miracle. But we understand the nature and severity of debt. It can cripple us. It can put us into a life situation that we did not expect to ever happen. So we need to be cautious about it. But now I want you to look on the screen with me at Proverbs 27 and verse 23 and 24. Some of you are going to have some hard conversations when you go home. Some of you are hoping you won't have them because you know you need to have them. So I don't need to talk about this for an hour because I know some of you have some conversations now that you've been wanting to have perhaps. Or or can I say it like this? Because, you know, I've been married a while. I know marriage a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. I don't know it all, okay? But I know this. There's usually at least one of you wanting to have that conversation. Sometimes the other one doesn't want to. But this is important to have. Because this affects your spiritual life, this affects your home, this affects your marriage. 
And, and the big secret's got to be done with if you're going to have a strong marriage. So I'm just going to throw this in there because this isn't in the sermon at all. And I'm just going to say to the men in the church, to the married men in the church, it is up to you to set the atmosphere and environment in your home that says it's okay for her to confess anything that is not in line with what we are wanting or what I've been thinking was going on, Something, anything that she's doing wrong with this, she's got big secrets, it's okay for her to confess that to me. I'm not gonna, not just going to belittle her and trash her over it. There's going to be forgiveness. Who sets that in the home? Who establishes that attitude in the home? Who does it? The man does. It's your duty as a man of God to establish that kind of environment that says, because if honesty cannot be declared in the home, where can it be declared? If honesty cannot be commit, uh, uh, declared among the people of God, who's going to? Who's going to? The White House? The politicians? No, it starts in the home. So men, I'm just going to encourage you. Have the conversation. Say that it's okay. Wives, say it's okay for men to be honest. For your husband to be honest about where the money's going. About how he spends it. About the big toys that he might be paying for right now on the side without you knowing it. Because he's putting it off, he's going to deal with it later. Like, Two days before Christmas when there's no money left for everything else but the new firearms are in the, in the safe. I mean, we got to have the conversations. Be forgiving when you have the conversation. Husbands, you take charge of that and let it happen. Let it happen. You'll grow deeper in love because of it. All right. Look at the screen. Proverbs 27, 23, 24. I ran across this verse. And I thought, wow, I've never seen this. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. Everything's going great. Everything's going fine. You know, we're set. We're secure. But it doesn't mean it's going to last forever. And I mean, what a community to talk about. Watch your herds. <laughs> Check them out. Look them over. Be on the lookout for something that's wrong. I mean, anything could happen. You watch it. So I would say, from a financial standpoint, we need to do something. I'm going to get back to this. And listen, I wrote it down this week. Okay, I wrote it down. We're going to go back to the statement my seminary professor made, but I wrote it down because I stammered all over myself last week trying to remember. Be sure that your outgo does not exceed your income lest your upkeep become your downfall. Okay? We're spending more than what's coming in, and then to keep it up, we can't do it. It's going to lead to our downfall. What do you mean? It's going to lead to downfall. You can't get a new roof over your house and it's been raining and you can't do the upkeep. Why? I'm stretched too thin. Really is something true. He says, know the condition of your flocks and pay attention. So I'm just going to say this. Pay attention to your money. Pay attention to what you have. However this pertains to you. It may be pay attention to your marriage. Pay attention... To, to the things God has given you that help you and you get through life with the blessings of life. Pay attention to those things and know what the condition of those things are because they're providing for your livelihood. And paying attention to your money means, first of all, live within your means. And if at all possible, only borrow money for things that appreciate in value instead of depreciate. Homes appreciate in value. Cars depreciate in value. They don't get better, everybody. They get what? Worse. They get worse. They don't grow in value. They devalue. 
Keep up the home and it will grow in value over time. I like what Luke chapter 16 and 10 says. Jesus said, He who is faithful in the little things is faithful also in the big things. But he who is unrighteous in a very little thing will also be unrighteous in much. So he's saying it's really not about how much we have. If we don't take care of what little we have, how can we expect that we'll do a better job taking care of him giving us more? In fact, the stress level goes up when you have more uh, that you have to manage because there is also more to lose. It becomes actually pretty important. People who have much tend to have people under them doing work, and now they're accountable to them. Their livelihoods are also at stake if they're not good managers of what God has given them or the, the, what God has put them in charge of. So, translate it this way, having a better income doesn't fix the problem of overspending continuously, using credit cards extravagantly, handling money unrighteously, or failing to give to God faithfully. Having a better income will not fix those issues. I just need God to provide me with more money. Well, maybe he already did, but you failed the test. He who is faithful with the little will be faithful with the much. But he who is unrighteous in the little will be unrighteous in much. I think we all have to prove to God that we'll be faithful with what he has given us and be good stewards of it. So let's say you're in debt and you're saying, you know, I'm just doing the minimum thing here or maybe we're having trouble doing that. So when we can't pay all these minimums, we use this card to pay the minimums on those. And, you know, people do that. And what they do is they put in the back of their mind this problem, this issue. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting worse. But somehow they think for now, give me some relief. So it's just building over time. So you're in debt, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're just paying the minimum balance on any credit cards or any debts that you have, and you recognize today you're a servant to the lender because you're not free. You want to be a giver because God is a giver. He gives to all life. He, he's, he gives to us our very being. Every breath, Paul said, God gives to us. He is a giver he gave to us His Son who died for us to give us forgiveness. He is a giver. He gives good gifts to His children. And, and so the Bible is very clear on those things. We know God's a giver. Well, His Holy Spirit dwells within us. So guess what? It is our nature as Christians to be giving. I, I would imagine there's not a single person in this room doesn't enjoy giving. But not everyone is able to give. And we talked about not feeling guilty about that if you simply can't. This sermon's not really addressing that. This is saying if you can't because of another problem, focus on that problem. And that problem, if it's debt, needs to be focused on. Because you're a servant to the lender, you can't give as generously as your nature is to give because your Heavenly Father is a giver by nature. So what must you do? Well, I think what you have to do is thirdly, be honest and serious about eliminating the debt. It will not just go away. I think when Crystal and I got married, I had a little bit of debt on a credit card. You know, I thought it was something. Here I was in my 20s. Man, I had a credit card. You know, it was a big deal back in the 80s. And what was that interest? Like 17, 18%. I mean, it was crazy. It was just crazy. I think some of them are the same now. It's just crazy. But anyway... We were getting married, and so I also charged the wedding ring on there, too. I think when we got married, this is going to floor you how much debt I had, okay? 
on a credit card, just a credit card, $2,500. Some of you are laughing. That ain't nothing, man. That's chunk change. Well, back then, to me, it wasn't. I mean, I, I made like $1,000 a month teaching school. Some of you teachers know it's not much better than that for you these days. But anyway, here's the thing. Paying that off $35 a month was going to take me 30 years. $2,500. That's just the way it works. I was a servant to the lender. We got married. Crystal moved five hours. We got married. We're, we're uh, in, in town. I'm teaching. There's no teaching position for her. For that first year of marriage, for about the first eight months or so, it was just single income. And I'm going to tell you, that $2,500 debt was a huge deal. Plus a car payment, plus her car payment. Now we have two car payments, and it's, it's a big deal, that $2,500. We were faithful to tithe. And I'm going to tell you, I made that commitment. I've told you this over and over. A month before we got married, I made that commitment to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. We were able to manage what we had better after tithing than we could have ever been. We had money left over at the end of each of those months. We always had a little money to put back. God just works through faithfulness. But let me tell you, we could have given more easily and a lot more if I didn't have that little $2,500 worth of debt. Debt enslaves you. So what do you do? Well, we got honest about it. We got serious about it. We eliminated that debt. God called us into the ministry within our first three years of marriage. We started, we said we can't go now, but we took a year and a half. We paid off a car. We paid off all those debts. We still had one car payment. We moved to seminary. No jobs, no nothing. No job waiting. And we moved. We finished out the summer. And the week before school started, a school called her and hired her. God is faithful. And we went there without practically any debt whatsoever. We had an American distress card. And we had one of those. They were charging 30 bucks for you to have an extra one. This was way back. This was back in the 90s, you know. And I said, you know what? This is American Express. This is American Distress. And we got rid of that card. We've never had another credit card since except a regular banking debit card. Christmas, what do you do? We stay home. What do you do? If, what happens if, 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 you, if something happens and you don't have it? Something happens and we don't have it. What are you going to do? We're going to trust God. What do you do when the water pump goes out on your car if you don't have the money sitting there to do it? I call the deacons. That's what I do. I see in the bulletin, you're the deacon on call today. Well, my water pump's out of my truck. No, I don't do that, but it, it did happen. I pulled up to the church back at Lake of the Pines years ago, and I got out, and I was on a slant, and water was coming out of the truck. And I thought, great, well, just one more thing, you know. There were a couple of deacons there working on something, I don't know, and a couple of retired guys. I went into work, and I came back out to go home for lunch. The, the parsonage was about a mile away from the church. And I just remember going uh, to go and get in the truck, and it was gone. I thought, great. Now somebody stole the truck. Well, good riddance. They can have it. You know, that kind of thought. Well, no, it was down at the shop. The deacons actually took my truck down there and had already paid for a new water pump. I felt so blessed. So what do you do, Christian? You just trust God. You do. What, do you just mooch off everybody? No, I don't. You know, God enables us to give too. And, but God takes care of us. Does it mean I'll never have another credit card? Well, I'll tell you this. My credit score is going down because I don't have one. And now, is that crazy? Here it was, 
795, 805, something like that, and now it's down to like 770. I mean, anytime we bought a house or gone to buy anything else, um, they check your credit score, see if you're good for the payments and all that, and they can see and all you have is maybe a few medical bills that you're paying on or something like that, and they just, well, your credit score is going down. It's like, I don't know, maybe 750 now. I don't know because I don't have debt. And so that just, that's another sermon that drives me crazy. That's a political thing, I guess. Pay attention to your money, though. Know how much you have. Don't ignore it. Be honest and get serious about eliminating debt. And so if you are married, the two of you are one flesh in the Lord. It's not just his problem, his debt. He did this to us. Guys, it's not just her problem, her debt. She's the one that did this to us. The two of you became one. And when you became one, buddy, you became one. You are together in this thing. It is us, it is we. The two of you got married for better and for worse. Till death do you part, not till debt do you part. You are together in this thing. And so let's show this video about what you do. About two years ago, we had the mortgage meltdown in America and it affected my job drastically. My pay dropped by about half, and our expenses didn't. Um, we, we were living paycheck to paycheck. Yes, um, we weren't. Pretty much spending everything we had. We never really talked about money, more than you know, how much is in the bank. So we found ourselves with our expenses exceeding our income, and paying bills with credit cards, and it was becoming uh, more and more difficult to get by, and more and more stressful. The future, the future didn't look real bright. We had to make a change. We had to decide now uh, what are we going to do. We were not doing a very good job of being mindful of our money. And so we talked about what goals we wanted to have immediately. We had to start there because we were in such a bad way. We had to start with baby steps. And what do we need for next month? The first thing we decided to do was um, to get $1,000 in the emergency fund so that we had it just in case something came up that we immediately had to deal with. The next step was really to, to decide um, we're going to go to all cash. We decided to stop using credit and debit cards. So we implemented a system that we heard about where you have a separate envelope uh, for different items. And you would fill each envelope each pay period with a certain amount of money and that, that's all you got. And you had to wait until the next, uh, next paycheck to fill it back up again. And then the next thing we decided was whatever we had extra, we would pay towards the lowest debt. Yeah, we were able to cut our monthly discretionary spending by 400 bucks just by doing cash and envelopes. So that 400 went toward that smallest credit card until it was paid off. And then that 400 plus whatever the payment was on the credit card, now we can stack that on top of the the next card, so it snowballs. So pretty soon we're, we've got an extra thousand or whatever it was to, to pile on to the next thing. So in the next two years, um, mostly through the envelope system, we had some extra cash because we wound up spending less. Very surprising how much less money you'll spend when it is cash and you're aware of it. Uh, but we were able to pay off two credit cards, a car, student loans. We, we had. We both have student loans, and all we have left now is one car payment and the, uh, the mortgage, so it feels pretty good. And we're, we're working toward getting rid of those as well. The hardest thing to say no to was dining out. 
because I really appreciate that because I don't like to cook. <laughs> well, I think the hardest part for me was just making the decision to do it. It's amazing how long it takes to get something done when you're not working on it. If you, if you ignore it, it's not going away. In fact, it's, it'll last forever. That debt will go until the day you die. If I ran across myself three years ago, I think I'd just uh, grab on and just say, you know, wake up. You can't keep spending more than you make. And it won't take that long before you know it. 36 months later, here we are. And we're not done, we're not perfect. Got a long way to go, but. But there's hope. You just need to take action. And don't give up. Be disciplined every day with it. And it's gonna get better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word.